I wanted to, you know, get more involved with the writing community in New York outside of just comedy. It's like a really perfect screenplay. It's like Finn's have budget. Let a real comedy writer have a pass at the comedy. Action, coming of age, genre, Ben, sometimes uh, from the 80s, sometimes referred to as the go for it genre. The thing that we want to talk about is the craft. Took out all the stakes for me, and nobody really dies at a low point in a thriller. Somebody's supposed to. It was a lot more earned than it was in this. The Soderbergh question. Um, process. What's more interesting? Thriller stakes or the actual process of things I being I wish there were more out. films like this. It's not for me to say. He wasn't necessarily in good shape and he had this comb over that was rather elaborate. He had this confidence that drew me to him. My father, he taught me to believe that all people are good and to be good to all people. Life is ridiculous. And you know that I would never say anything bad about your father in front of you, but your father is a sick son of a bitch. Daddy's a sick son of a bitch. Don't repeat that. But yes. All right, this is uh, the script. I'm David Negrin. I'm here with Jeremy Engdahl Johnson. Um, hey, David, how you doing? Welcome. We are featuring this, this week, we are featuring. <laughs> The script for American Hustle, the earlier draft known as, uh, titled American Bullshit, um, that was on the blacklist for a couple of years, very positive by uh, Eric Warren Singer, is the, the screenwriter. Um, eventually, the uh, script was um, appropriated um, and uh, became American Hustle, but uh, we, we wanted to read the early script and uh, see what the original idea was. I mean, because it's based on an actual uh, event that happened. Is that right, Jeremy? Yeah, the event is it's called the, uh, the App Scam. Uh, I don't know if you call it a scandal, but it was, it was one of the biggest FBI stings ever. And App Scam is uh, it's debatable what it stands for. The PC version is Abdul Enterprises Scam, because that was the name of the, the cover company that the FBI had. Some say it's uh, short for Arab Scam. But um, either way, you had a situation where basically a, a con man uh, went to work for the FBI and set up this elaborate showcase um, that resulted in this, this uh, fake chic um, supposedly getting involved in Atlantic City and, and making investments. And, uh, and was, a corrupt mayor, they're after a corrupt mayor and state senator, right? Yeah, see, well, it was, it was a you know, U.S. senator and like six congressmen and a corrupt mayor, the, the mayor of Camden. Uh, who was also, I, I don't really understand you can have like three jobs in New Jersey, but apparently this guy did. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, three elected jobs. Yeah, three elected jobs. So, you know, I think that guy's doing something for so, wonder. What's interesting about the, the, the draft of the script we read used the real names of the, the, the people involved. And when David O. Russell did his version and turned the film into uh, American Hustle from American Bullshit, it became um, a fictionalized version. Right. Yeah, and, that, and that's been you know just kind of a certain layer of cognitive uh, you know kind of dissonance with this whole thing, uh, figuring out which character was was which. I mean, like Christian Bale is uh, he, in real life he was Mel Weinberg, but he's playing somebody by the name of Irving Rosenfeld. Oh, uh, right. So you know it's uh, but uh, and Jennifer Lawrence's character isn't really in the first draft. She's she's a very thin character. I mean that's you know uh, just kind of jumping right into it. Um, yeah. If I was looking at one of the weaknesses of the the singer script, it's it's that there are no strong female characters. They just kind of vanish for a large majority of this. So clearly, 
uh, as, as David O. Russell was looking at this, uh, I mean, I don't know if, if he got the idea after he got Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence involved or if uh, he wrote the parts for them, but yeah. um, I'm guessing neither of them are wilting violets on screen, so uh, he must have... Let's uh, use the them. actors' names for the characters. Okay, that works. And that way it'll work for both the movie and, and, the, uh, and, and the script. Um, the first thing that struck me about this is I, the, the, this script, the dialogue is phenomenal, right? The dialogue is the dialogue of, of uh, I would say, New York in the 70s. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's the dialogue of, of uh, basically a Jewish guy from, 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 from the streets and a bunch of Italian guys from the streets, a bunch of mafiosos, and, you know, the swearing and, you know, lines like, uh, you know, the, he dropped lines like, you call me and let me know whether you're going to fuck or fight. Right. You know, and, um, you know, uh, you know, I want the mayor and well, I want to tip bang Raquel Welch while eating a porterhouse steak. Yeah, Still, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, like it, this, it's not one or two lines. It is the whole script is filled with this incredible um, uh, lexicon. And so it makes it feel enormously real. Yeah. If it was raining pussy, you'd get hit by a cock. I mean, it's like <laughs> everything you could possibly you know, want, and then some things you never even thought about, like... Poke! Better to keep your mouth shut and look stupid than open it and remove all doubt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just had to shake the hand that got to play with Liz Taylor's pussy. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, we could go on and on. So, yeah. uh, it's Amazing. pretty foul. This is definitely not a, uh, not a G-rated podcast here, but... Um, yeah, you know, the, the thing is really tight, and it's full of, uh, cl- you know, just cultural references, and it's it's a very, it's an incredible period piece, if you think about it. Um, just some of the details, I mean, you know, they talk about Jimmy Carter as a peanut farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got, uh, when uh, when uh, the, the, you know, Bradley Cooper and Christian Bale characters are first making their deal, because basically there's, there's a deal that gets struck where... Uh, the uh, the Christian Bale character has been caught out in his in his right. Christian Bale is an epic con artist. He's he's an epic con artist, and the FBI has him, and he's going to go to jail, and he's going to get revealed as a total scam to his family. He's going to lose his mistress, and they've got all the goods on and his, his mistress. Mi- actually, they can't have. They, this is part of the conceit: is they don't have enough on Christian Bale's character they don't, because he's too good. Right. But his mistress was a little sloppy, and he they threatened to reveal uh, him. To his uh, family, who doesn't know that he's a Connors. Yeah, so, so he can he can make the case, case that he he is doing this for his his loved ones, his mistress and his yeah. family. And that's part of this sort of the setup to this like sort of save the cat. This you love this guy, even though he's foul mouthed and he's smarter than everybody. He's smarter than the FBI. Oh, I'm gonna drop one more. All my life I've been looking over my shoulder, worried about the feds and for what. If I knew if I knew how fucking stupid you guys really were, I would have fucking stole the world. Yeah. That's his character. That's him. And so it's like, um, but the conceit is he's doing it. It's a little bit of a, it's a little bit uh, 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 hard to believe that he would, you know, go along with the feds and go, you know, take risks with mafiosos and stuff like that. But they set him up as a good father. They have this nice scene where um, he, he comes home and he talks to his son and the son t- tells him he lost a bet on a baseball game. And he uh, and he and he pays his son off, you know, like well, he's and, proud of him. Yeah, and 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 so he's got something to lose, and so we then uh, believe it when 
the, the Bradley Cooper character comes to him with this deal, and the deal is essentially, I want you in on five arrests. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna take your, your con artist routine on the road, you're gonna help me capture five people, and, and then you, know, you, you get to walk, your mistress gets to walk, uh, and you get off on all this. Uh, so it's you know, but it's 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 like the it's like the labors of Hercules or something. You know, yeah, it's like we, yeah. we have this setup where you know if you do these sorts of things, then it's free hero's journey stuff. Give yeah. them a set of goals, you know, uh, a golden fleece to achieve. Right, but do we do do we get five? Is it they um, they, they go off of that? They kind of they kind of rush a little bit, and it, and it's interesting how the thing ends up progressing. Uh, at least as as Singer wrote it, because you you start with with one, you start with this. Um, Donato. Donato, and he's you know he's the creepy mob boss who has the the dog that he feeds gunpowder to to keep him mean. Yeah, uh, that, that is just like a rabid dog. Um, but Donato like leads them to this mayor uh, Irchetti, who's the the one that, that Jeremy Renner is playing. Right, uh, and then who leads them to Senator Harrison Rand, uh, who then leads them to you know gets the the mob guys Don and Sonny involved, which leads them to Zelnick, who's like tied in with. With um, you know the, the Uber and mob chief, right. I mean, so they so just move up the up the ladder. The Bradley Cooper Bradley Cooper's character is this FBI agent who is voracious. Like right. he can't stop moving up the ladder. And they say something early about about Christian Bale. They say that you know one of the reasons he's been so successful as a con man is he doesn't do the big cons. He just does uh, dozens of small ones, and they all keep paying off, and he never gets caught. Right. But then. He decide, he ends up in the ultimate enormous con. But he's I mean it's true that he does all these small ones traditionally, but he is the ultimate con man. And and one of the things that I one of the really interesting themes around this is that you know he's somebody who has cultivated his life around a lie. And then he gets caught by the FBI, and the FBI want him to lie about the lie. So it kind of becomes the lie within the lie. And the, you know the the movie that just like in terms of, of character uh, dimensions that it, it reminded me the most of was The Departed. Where you've got kind of like they're coming at it from two different directions, right. and neither neither side is is who they say they are, and no one around you them can't believe either of them. Yeah, and it's, to me it was like a little like uh, the firm where you know uh, Tom Cruise has got the FBI on his side, and then he's got the, the firm against him, and uh, he's got to figure his way out using only his wits. Uh, but I mean, the movie tends is a lot more in the genre of the Sting. Or classic heist movies like Mammoth's Heist, or um, uh, or uh, we were saying it's maybe the Thomas Crown Affair, mm-hmm. um, and certainly there's a movie uh, Confidence, that kind of stuff. Well, and it's and it's even going further back than that. I mean, I think those are all you're, you're you know nailing with all those comparisons. But at one point early on, he says, "I'm not Willie Loman," you know, and yeah. this is the ultimate Willie yeah. Loman story. This is you know he's completely sold his family a bill of goods, and so you know I I mean I think there's some pretty interesting dramatic tensions here with the, the family story, even with, like, the wife character kind of is, is a little cardboard, um, the son character is a little cardboard, we don't really see much of them throughout the whole thing, yeah. so I'm very curious to see how they brought that out, because they clearly brought some big the fun, actors. The fun and games of a heist movie are the cons themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and pulling them off, and watching us watch, get to watch the con men, what was the best stuff of that for you? Well, I think you know, and and this is where um, where the uh, the Mel character, who's you know, who's the Christian Bell character, I think is, is most interesting because he he sets up this idea. He keeps talking about a stage, and and everything's on a stage. And there's a character Polk who who's uh, keeps messing up, and and he's just not he's not convincing. 
and he says he, he doesn't, doesn't deserve be, he doesn't deserve to be on stage. Right. Uh, and and so it's it, this, it, he said he said a con, a con is is like theater. Yeah. Right? You have, it's about the details. Right. And and yeah, he says the details matter. Uh, and you know, it's the big show. Um, we need to uh, you know. And they, so the the big show, the ultimate like, and one of the ways structurally this is interesting is that it ends with the big show of the sheik arriving, and they put on this party. And, and the party is this huge, grandiose affair, and there's U.S. congressmen there, and, and they're all, like, in the, the mix, and they're, they don't realize that they're getting, you know, they're getting captured on video, you know, doing all these corrupt things. And, and so the, the culmination, kind of the, the, the big marquee event of the whole thing, the Act 3 event, is, is this showcase. And it's, it is the big con. So I think that, that definitely jumps out as, as the biggest. Yeah. But we're, we're presented at the end with the idea that that maybe there's another con that's been worked behind the scenes, and that and that maybe um, the the you know the, the character has at Christian Bale has pulled off uh, one on the FBI. He's going to get away with it, and he's going to go away with uh, enough money to probably live off in the future. That that he's been playing them even as it seems like his you know he's in this imperiled situation, and you know everybody's out to get him. So uh, it's it's interesting. It's, does he get the girl, or does he get the family? Well, maybe he gets everything. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And and uh, you know, there there's a, a twist at the end that you know it's I think it's more satisfying than most of the uh, you know twists we've been seeing at the end of movies. Just in terms, of it, it they earn it, you know, because because we know the whole thing is a con. Yeah. The dialogue was fantastic. Um, the conceit was fine. It's a little hard to believe. Um, a, a con con man film. He's got to have a bunch of great cons in it. Um, it does all these things. Does it rise to the, I mean, does it take off as like one of the great films of the year? Does it take off as something like The Sting, you know, or something as like an epic movie? Like, or does it, to me it felt a lot like um, a, a, a funnier, chattier casino. Right. You know, like a funnier, a chattier sort of mob versus the FBI. You said there, there was, Remind you a little of Argo in a certain way. Yeah, well, it's, it's a period piece like Argo, and you know, and I, I was mentioning some of the, the period piece stuff, like they go out on a walk and they, you know, one of them orders Tav. A Tav and a Yuhu, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some there's some really wonderful um, period details, and you know, just uh, you know, they, the whole thing with the Middle East oil crisis going on in the background. Right. Oh yeah, they have the gas, uh, the gas lines, right? Right. And they have. Um, They've got the, uh, the, even the, the 70s clothing. There's an Atari 2600, you know, right. it's like we're, we're getting, you know, some, some deep nostalgia going here. And, and so in that sense, it's, it's, it's the same period as Argo. And it's it, like Argo is, uh, you know, it, it, there's a, a grand sense of theater in Argo. That's going on here too. Yeah. But I think well, Argo is a very, it's a fairly earnest and dramatic movie. Yeah. And this is Argo is a and, drama with a little bit of a humor and it was trying to tell the story. I mean, one of the reasons Argo like won the, won the Oscar, which to me is, you know, these days best picture is the most mediocre of the acceptable films to the American audience these days. Right. You know, it touched a little on drama, it touched a little on comedy, and it touched a little on it's a true story. Sure. Right? And so American Hustle, American Bullshit, is partially a true story, and it's really funny, but it's not really dramatic. I think they're know? making efforts to fictionalize the whole thing. I think that, Right, and, and, and that's and what David O'Russell is doing? Yeah, 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 I think we have to expect that, you know, it, it, if we had 
the, the Singer script, which is a kind of a masterful effort at, at taking the facts and bringing them to the, the screen in a, in a kind of easy crosswalk, I, I think what we have with David or Russell probably is taking it to a different level. I bet he's going to open with based on two events, though. Yeah, probably. Like but, you know, the, the opening scene in the trailer is, is you know, Christian Bale uh, showing Bradley Cooper this this fake Rembrandt, Rembrandt and, and none of that's in this script. So, you know, it's like he's... He, he's probably taken a lot of liberties. I mean, I think it's interesting, the American bullshit thing, uh, that that was the original title. I wish they could have named this thing that because it's very on the nose. Uh -huh. But it's, I mean, if you start looking at the use of bullshit in this script, it's incredible. There's 32 uses of the, the word bullshit. <laughs> Most of them are coming out of the, the Christian Bale character's mouth in response to things other people are saying when they're protesting his bullshit. <laughs> uh, we have kind of a, an, an ultimate kind of manifestation. Uh, like, like It's like a philosophy of bullshit. Like, you know, the, 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 it's a meditation on right. bullshit. So the, the, the sheik, who is bullshit, um, he's, he's a you know, uh, Arab guy from, from Chicago. He says, for the sake of our discussion, things would go much smoother if you could dispense with the, how do you say, bullshit. But the whole thing is bullshit. <laughs> and in the end, Mel says, you know, money is like manure. Uh, if you spread it around, it can do a lot of good, make things grow. I mean, so he's got a whole economic policy. He's, he, he's like, you know, like, it, it, it's like no one has ever you know, thought this deeply about bullshit. And, yeah. and so it's, it's, it's a brilliant title in the sense that they beat you over the head with it. And I hope that David Russell is able to preserve some of that because it's some funny stuff. Yeah. Um, where, where, where the, how's he going to bring the women into the con? He could just replace, there are several characters in this script um, that are F, other FBI agents that are involved with the con, right? Yeah. And so you could, you could replace um, one of those people with, with, uh, with Jennifer Lawrence's character or um, Amy Adams' character, you know, doing some part of the machinations of all the cons. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, like, the, the Amy Adams character, who uh, goes by the name of Maxine Gardner in the script, mm -hmm. I mean, she's, she's definitely a, a, an interesting character. She's, she's uh, his, uh, Christian Bale's kind of partner in crime in yeah. all this. Um, and she's got a great accent from, from Brooklyn or from, from, the, from the street somewhere that's so well written by this guy. Right, and she's, she's at least, you know, you can at least trace her throughout the original American Bullshit script. It's the, the Jennifer Lawrence character that I think they probably, uh, like, you know, you've got scenes of her dressed up and, and, you know, on his arm and stuff, and I don't see any of that in the Singer script, which, mm -hmm. you know, hey, if, if they took, you know, found a way to get both the women on, on his either arm, you know, more power to him. Yeah, it's, even cooler. I mean, let's, let's step it up, because I, I think there was, that was a definitely a missing, it was definitely kind of a sausage party as far as the, you know, the chic. Uh, you know, final well, show I mean, the dialogue is definitely boys clubby, but that's yeah. what the fun part about it. Screenwriting stuff, from a screenwriting perspective, uh, themes, stuff like that. What, what, what can we, what do we want to take away from this script and maybe the movie? I, I mean, the movie will be out soon. Maybe we'll get a chance to, to, to review that in reflection upon the script. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's clear that, that Singer had some fun with this. I mean, it's very, it, it's very craftful. I mean, you look at this. It's 134 lot, pages it's, also. It, it is, you know, if you're going to do 134 pages, he gets, you know, he gets his money worth with, with that. It's dialogue that gets him there. Yeah. It's not it's not that he's got extra set pieces or anything. It's yeah. just he's got all this great dialogue. These scenes are three to four pages long, 
and the dialogue is, is it's fast and it moves and it's obscene and it's funny. I mean, I don't know. I think I think um, what I take away from this is how well he knew these characters, right? I don't know that they the real life characters spoke like this. I don't know if he read biographies on them or if the guy singer himself is just like you know knows guys knows some wise guys or you know knows some Jewish con man guys from Brooklyn, you know. Yeah. So, but he it was so authentic. Um, that I was instantly in the world. And then you add the details of the 1970s in, uh, of which I was not, you know, I was a child in the 70s, so I don't know it. So I just believe him from the get-go that this is what really happened. Right. And based on a true story with the Abscam stuff, um, it's like it's gospel. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it, it's, there's a, um, he's managed to cram a lot of stuff into a, a fairly, I mean, even at, at this length, it, it, it's a fairly tight story, and, and that we go from, I mean, there are so many mob bosses built into here. Yeah, there's kind yeah. of a logical progression. It feels like a video game. You know, you beat one, it's and then escalating. You go on to the next one. That, and that's what you need, right, in any script. You need escalating obstacles, but the, the um, uh, uh, having, having uh, 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 Bradley Cooper's character, his FBI agent being so ambitious to want to, like, climb the ladder, you know, is, a, is, is, uh, is, it helps us Escalate from, and I guess that's how you, that's how you, that's how you uh, arrest crime bosses anyway. You get the small fish, and then you have them turn on the bigger fish, and the bigger fish, and it happens. But it happens, and uh, I noticed this: they do some really great cuts. Um, they don't make us wait for the next uh, bad guy. As soon as they start talking about, I want this guy, I want to get Donato. We cut to the room where they're in the room, and they're all set up. To, to con him. Yeah. So they do these great cuts. They don't have any fat in between to each, you know, to the series of cons, the escalating cons. So it's really tight in, in that sense uh, as far as plot. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of instances where, you know, they set it up early. I mean, I mentioned the, the gunpowder-eating dog. Yeah. I mean, like, that is just, a, it's a, it just sticks with you and you're thinking about it. It's like, I bet that dog is going gonna, is gonna to tear into somebody sooner or later. And sure enough, like, you know, and there's a great set piece in the middle. Uh, that you know that dog is a, is a key part of the plot at that point, yeah. and, and he's just as vicious as you would imagine. So um, you know, I, I I'd say it's artfully crafted, but you know they probably needed to bust out of the constraints of a, it being a true story. I mean, I understand why they took it in that direction. Where did it? Where did? It, what did it hamstring it? Well, I, I would imagine that one of the reasons that some of the relationships with the female characters were so limited was that you just didn't. You know, you didn't have... Maybe they weren't really involved. Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, there's not, you know, there's not the same level of documentation about any of that stuff. Uh, so it's just conjecture. So, you know, sometimes it's better to be fictional so you can tell a real story and get into some of those, you know, dynamics and what the family dynamics must have been like. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I saw David O. Russell was doing a heist movie, I thought... Um, that's what you do when you're going to be when you're you become a successful and lazy director. You know, he's just like, okay, my next film after the Happy Endings Playbook is that what's called Silver, Silver, Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. After Silver Linings, yeah, this is a Happy Ending Playbook. After Silver Linings Playbook, <laughs> that's, that's about a massage part of it. Movie. Oh, we hit that after we're done. So the Silver Linings Playbook was uh, was was a you know was a risky kind of a film to do. And it had it had a lot more of the risk taking that you know David Russell is known for that that kind of I heart Huckabee's like 
you know, risk-taking. And when I saw he was doing a heist movie, I was like, oh, come on, man. Like, seriously, like, that's the, that's, you know, that's the easiest way to go. But then when I read the script, I saw the sophistication of it, um, and I saw how much great dialogue there was. I don't, I don't, I don't know what David Russell would bring to this, though. Well, here's the thing that I think is interesting. I didn't, I, I didn't realize this until I dug into the, the history a little bit, but there was a previous attempt to make a movie uh, about this story. Mm -hmm. And it was a movie starring Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. And Belushi wasn't with us long enough for the movie to ever be made. And and if you read into some of the details around the, you know, the the Mel Weinberg character who was the actual comment behind this, um, people conjecture, for example, that like his his divorce was put put off for a long time, and his wife ends up killing herself later on. And one of the reasons was that he supposedly wanted this movie to be made. Now, you know, I'm just I'm repeating things I've read on the internet. So, <laughs> you know, not trying to slander anybody here, but um, th this is this is a little bit of a haunted project, I think, in that respect, because it, it never got brought to fruition. So he's taking on a a pretty pretty sizable topic. I mean, and and some of this stuff, you know, it's like the um, you know, th there were there were things that went on in, in the background, like uh, who who does uh, who does he find uh, Maxine in, in bed with? Wayne Newton. Yeah. Apparently, she was that real life person was actually involved in some scam involving Wayne Newton. So it's like there's like little hidden jokes built into this whole thing. So I, he's he's really taking a taking a pretty interesting bite out of the apple here. So I, I think it's I think it's a brave endeavor. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think that uh, he. He can't lose an ounce of this dialogue, okay? If he if he just hands some of it over, maybe to the Amy Adams character, because she's a bit of a con man herself, con artist herself, um, maybe. Uh, and then somehow we're gonna work Jennifer Lawrence in, because because she's she's gorgeous and now she's talented. And, yeah. You know, she, she's great with bow and arrow. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, archery will come in handy here somewhere. Anything else? Last thoughts about uh, American bullshit. Script. Now, I love American bullshit, you know, and it's, you know, the, uh, I'm curious to see if they kept the bullshit flowing in the Hollywood. <laughs> Normally the it's meditation the, on bullshit continues. Normally it's the opposite problem, you know, it's like. It's kind know, of a metaphor for our podcast, too, well, isn't it? <laughs> speak for yourself. Dude, Jeremy, thanks very much. Talk to you later, dude. Hey, play your part. Hi, you play your part. to find a way to survive and you knew your choices were bad but you had to survive we were so successful for so long because we kept it just small enough if you're that successful how come you wound up in this room with me right now taking orders from me we're here okay so we're live and we are um analyzing the original script for American Hustle, previously titled American Bullshit, and uh, now we've both seen the film, and we're going to talk about some of the differences, things we liked and didn't like about that. Jeremy, you want to start off? Yeah, you know, David, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. I think we were both big fans of the Eric Warren Singer script. Uh, it's a really tight script. It lived atop the blacklist for a long time. But David O. Russell clearly took it in a slightly new direction. He kept the, uh, the core story, but he really, I think, departed from the Singer script, which was very much based on the true, effect, the true 
happenings of the uh, Abscam scandal. Yeah. And it seemed like he was trying to up the stakes in a few different ways, and I kind of saw three ways that he did this. Um, the first was the imposition of love triangles. Yeah. I know when we talked about this before, the female characters are pretty weak, and uh, the female characters in What Got Shot were anything but weak. Uh, which is a, which is an important endeavor when you take when you're trying to actually take a, an adapted true story to screen. It's okay to take dramatic license to so that your film has women in it, not to mention strong roles for the women in it. Right. I mean, I don't think anybody left the theater without noting Jennifer Lawrence's role, uh, the Rosalind Rosenfeld role. Yeah. Uh, but in the singer script, she was Estelle Weinberg, and she was kind of a um, kind of a a wallflower. I mean, she was really yeah, she a, was a, she was a placeholder wife. That was it. But now the 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 sort of the the the, the that that neurotic uh, character, that amazingly um, troubled, but also somehow like naively optimistic. It was some. It was a really beautiful performance. Um, and uh, yeah, I have more to say about that later. But you had some other stuff. Yeah, the other thing I saw as far as upping the stakes in this, and this is something you talk about all the time with screenwriting is how friends become enemies and enemies become friends. Yeah. And uh, we had this whole dimension between the Christian Bale and the Jeremy Renner character. Uh, the, the Jeremy Renner character is um, you know, Mayor Carmen Polito. And they get to be really tight. They get to be buddies. Yes, and that's completely invented in, in David O. Russell's film from uh, over the script. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, if you think about the, the, what actually happened in the Abscam scandal, uh, Mel Weinberg, who is the Christian Bale character, uh, the, the person he's named after or, or, or patterned after, he is, um, he's a con artist. So realistically, I, I cannot imagine that he was making friends with his mark. You know, that, that just doesn't make any sense for a seasoned con artist. But for a movie... We yeah. love that dimension. They get to be really tight. Their wives get to be friends. And so he when starts he to admire him as a man because he's a great man who succeeded at things, maybe political, maybe a little bit of a hustler himself, but for a cause. He really, in the, in the film, it's portrayed that he cares about the people of New Jersey. Yeah, and it's, he, he's got a Machiavellian streak. And, and you know, the, the ends justifies the means and justifies some of these shady things he's doing. But I think we're left with the sense that the Carmen Polito character has really probably done a lot more good than bad for the state of New Jersey. And, and it puts the Christian Bale character in a real pickle uh, and something of a moral quandary. Yeah. I, um, I, I appreciated these extra character dimensions. Definitely, uh, David Russell brought these, the, 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 these uh duos and these triangles together to create it more of a character piece than a con artist film like the 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 um you know like this the the sting or confidence you know what i take it a little bit out of that genre but i actually thought he took it too far away from that genre yeah i i did too and and that was the third thing i wanted to mention because i i feel like we had a major diminishment of the two male lead characters 
there's this sense in the singer script that the, the Mel Weinberg character, I mean, he's like Prospero in The Tempest. He's pulling all of the strings. You know, the, he is the kind of the, the one who's making this whole theatrical thing work. And, and he's amazing at this. Stage. He's a master con artist. He is. And we don't see that from Christian Bale. Christian Bale no. seems like his competence is not really totally clear until the final kind of gotcha scene. Yeah. That he's pulled it over everybody's eyes. Yeah. But uh, we yeah, know in that this, in the singer. Yes, exactly. Throughout the Singer script, there are all these small bits of information about how how to run a con, how he does it right, um, how uh, how the how the, uh, the the FBI agent doesn't know how to do it right, and then we also get the FBI agent starting to look up to him mm-hmm. over the course of the film, which which was removed from the David O. Russell film, right? Over the course of the script and the Singer script. Um, his competence as a con artist is admired by the agent, right? Right. And um, so they go from sort of being enemies to being more friends, sort of that in that in that sense. Yeah, and I think they really that's wanted removed. Bradley, like, that was removed. Yeah, they wanted Bradley Cooper to be the Mark in this. I mean, he's he's kind of a bozo. He's got curlers in his hair. He thinks that he's got a chance with Amy Adams. That um, that dimension was amazingly i think that's david o russell's strength he brought this dark dry comedy to the film um it was almost a little bit of a poor man's wes anderson if i'll give a backhanded compliment um some of it was a little bit uh dry and dark and i found myself not knowing where to laugh you know and i found but i in wes anderson i always know where to laugh you know i always know where the where the dark dry punchline is so i think it was a it's not as it's not as well handled but i liked that comedy like the curlers in in his in his hair right and and the the hair uh the the opening image is is uh is irving's like hair his comb over getting done brilliant brilliant opening brilliant learned so much about that character yeah he is not what he seems. Yeah, and then and then they they instantly start the conflict. The first thing that Bradley Cooper does is fuck up his his, his comb over. The whole audience was oh, the whole audience was like, oh, it was. I mean, so many people were in defense of a bald man in my movie theater. It was great. Right, but that that sets the tone that the uh, the Christian Bale character is. He's not going to necessarily look like Alpha Dog throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And, and the Mel Weinberg character, I mean, he is the smartest guy in the room throughout the whole thing. And we don't see that until in the, script, the last yeah. 10 minutes of the actual movie. Okay, and you want to get into the last 10 minutes of the movie. I was very unsatisfied with this version of the finale. Hmm. Okay? They set up a whole new set of uh Triangles. They set up a whole new set of conflicts, and they set us up for there's going to be this big party with the Sheik, right? Right. Okay. They even get Robert De Niro to play uh, the heavy mafioso, which was a great cam- cameo for him. Okay. Definitely. But but then the third act never pays that off. They have this this ham-handed, um, you know, the wife makes a comment to one of the other guys, and they have to quickly do a payoff. And then the payoff turns into a reversal. Now, the reversal was nice, but it's not what I wanted in the third act. I wanted the party. I wanted the yeah. big super con. You know, I wanted Sydney and Rosalind to meet 
head-to-head for the first time at that party because that was great conflict, that, that yeah. scene when they're finally in the room together. That should have happened at the party, right? Yeah. I wanted both of the sheiks to show up pretending to be the sheik and, like, Irving have to deal with all kinds of things going wrong at the super con, then pulling it off, then getting, you know... You know, getting everything both ways, the way he did in, in the film still, you know, um, getting, uh, you know, getting one over on, on the agents as well as on the, the, the marks, the mafioso marks, and just, you know, pulling it off completely. And it, it, that third act never came for me. Yeah, and, and the idea that the payoff gets used to kind of mend the fences with Mayor Carmen Polito. I mean, I don't want the con artist with a soul. I want the con artist who gets away with it in the end. Yes, who's, yeah, it had a touch of, of the master. Do you, do you see the master? Uh, painfully, yes. Yes, okay, so the master, uh, I love Paul Thomas Anderson, right? But he definitely has nobody, uh, you know, uh, telling him the emperor has no clothes anymore. Right. Magnolia is one of my favorite films, but he, the master was this allusion to a cult, um, to a cult culture, and we wanted to see inside that culture, and we wanted to see it revealed and as a, as a false or culture, another kind of con or not. But then he spent the whole movie on the relationship between the two men. And so in the same way, I think this, this relationship between Carmine and Irving sort of just took over the ending, and we're supposed to feel for it. But then, you know, it wasn't a real relationship to begin with. You know, yeah. it wasn't really that deep to begin with, so it didn't resonate at all. I, that, I, can't be, that can't be the core uh, of the film. I mean, it just doesn't make sense that the con artist, like, falls for his mark. I mean, that's kind of stupid. It just doesn't. There's the dry, no attention. The dry, the dry humor is added well. Okay, the the relationships um, between everyone was added well. But then the the taking out the con artist uh, conceit, the the spine of the entire genre of the movie being about you know a heist or a con artist was 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 very much emasculated and I mean all that great dialogue remember all that they, he got rid of uh, a lot of that great dialogue right yeah I mean right I want the mayor and I want to tit bang Raquel Welch while eating a porterhouse steak right. still don't mean it's ever gonna happen all those lines were gone they were gone what did he do with them that was some of the greatest dialogue I've read all year as far as I'm concerned those lines were the whole point of buying the script to begin with thank you yeah so, I mean, I, I thought it was a great film. I, I, I enjoyed it, yeah. but I was disappointed by the end. It lost steam. It lost dramatic tension. Um, it, there were some solo performances, especially Jennifer Lawrence, that really jumped out at you. And, and I understand kind of creating um, some tensions and some triangles for her to coexist in and really do her thing. But there was no reason to remove the spine of, 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 the, of the original script. I don't exactly. think it served him at all. You know, he did want, he's clear he wanted to spend more times on these relationships. There was a lot, these scenes where they're talking and arguing, um, you know, meant a lot to this director, you could tell. But then the, the, the genre, the plot, the spine of a, of a confidence movie, con, man, con artist movie was, was really undermined. Um, 
I was thinking of uh, when I saw Drive, right, by Nicholas Winding Refn. Okay, he took a script that was basically just an action script about a, a, a stuntman who was also stealing cars, and he added an emotional dimension to it, and he added an aesthetic to it, but he didn't remove the 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 spine of the the genre that allowed it to to just to story to move along I, and i think i think david o russell also added an emotional element to it he also added an aesthetic i think we should both compliment that 70s aesthetic that was amazing it was pervasive did you feel that oh yeah i mean what is up with this by the way like this late 70s aesthetic is the thing now yeah yeah and and i like it i mean i was born in the late 70s so you know, yeah I, I like to be nostalgic but uh, it's, it's interesting. This seems to have captured Hollywood's attention right now. Yeah. It's a subtle, with, with like Argo, right? Right. Yeah. And, and um, none of the political ramifications of the ab scam scandal came into this, and I think that was a great choice. As right. nothing, they mentioned it once, you know? Yeah, and I, nobody remembers any of those any of those Congress members or the the senator. I don't even remember his name. Um, I remember you know Murtha was involved and got off, but I, I don't remember anybody else's real name as far as the political casualties of this thing. And I didn't need to see that. I don't. I, yeah. I'll wait for the documentary version. Yeah. So for me, in summation, the thing that takes this out of really best picture um, uh, quality or best picture contention is the fact that. It doesn't have that straightforward um, spine of a plot, of a heist plot, confidence man plot, right. that that the audience can hold on to and hang all these amazing relationships on, hang all these amazing uh, aesthetics and all these this dark humor on. You need all that at once to have a full picture. It felt you know a little bit flat, and 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 knowing having read the singer script with you. And read all that dialogue and knowing it was in there and it was taken out, you know, I can't help uh, but uh, criticize David O. Russell for that. But he yeah. brought some, he did bring some great things to this, this, this story. Um, but it was not, it, the potential was there, it's not what I wanted it to be. Yeah, I, I suspect it'll get a lot of Oscar buzz because people haven't necessarily seen what we've seen. But uh, going from the singer script to seeing what ended up on the stage, we see what got left on the table. We see the tensions that got stripped out of it, and it, it, it is a little disappointing. Yeah, and if you we we did we also we also did Gravity right. Right. Uh, we did a script on we did a, a podcast on Gravity, and the Gravity script was solid. It was like. You know, it was very tight, and then um, uh, when it went to film, it built on that. It didn't remove any of it; it built on it. But the the original script uh, was written by the, by Quaron, the same director. So of course, he was probably married to his own script a little more. But right. Well, I mean, it's a good comparison because gravity, the the central tension, is very clear. Can they get? out of the situation. Can they survive? Can they escape space, yeah. basically? And, and so it's a straight-ahead kind of survival tension that drives things through. And, and we have that great scene. I, I don't know how we're talking about gravity now when we started with American <laughs> Hustle, but, you know, we have the because great it's scene. Because it's the other best picture fave. Right. That's why. Right. And that's just, why, yeah. 
this great scene where where George Clooney kind of comes and visits her, you know, this this theater of the absurd knocks on the door of the airlock, and, and it just propels the third act from there because she gets her plan from this hallucination, just as she thinks she's about to die. Yeah. I mean, that's just classic, classic structural, you know, just perfect, like Dark Knight of the Soul followed by I know what I'm going to do. Here's my third act. And it wasn't contrived. It worked for the genre. It worked for the situation. But you know what? Here's the thing. When and we talk about this, the advanced screenwriting things all the time. This item, plot and character aren't actually separate. Right. They're there. They need to be there together. Right? You cannot reveal your characters without plots dragging them into obstacles. Right? And so I feel like you know te- you want to talk technical. The stakes of American Hustle were never really high enough. Okay. Right. We never really felt like what was, you know, they were going to get caught. We never saw them in situations where it was going to go uh, to shit. And you need that in a heist movie. I yeah. mean, any classic, you know, Ocean's Eleven is a perfect heist movie, okay? You know, they, they, the first half, you know, they set up what's the plan. The second half, they execute the plan. Everything starts going wrong. Third act, they save the day by improvising because they're awesome. That's what this movie needed. Right. And, and if they made the third act about the heist or about the con, it would have been more, way more effective. Instead, you kind of hang it on this, this, you know, the moral con man thing. And can I get my friendship back with, you know, Mayor Carmen Polito? Uh, it, it just kind of lost. Right, the right, right. And that's why I brought up the master. You know, the end of that film, I wanted to see Scientology revealed. Is right. it false or is it true? You know, and then we in the end, all we had was this man and, and his mentor and. They're like broken down relationship. There is a re- you can't just have character. You have to have plot and character. You need right. both. Right. Anything else for you in summation? No, I mean I I, I think it, it's fascinating always to see something that was pretty well constructed, and especially something that came from a real event. Uh, and I totally understand why Russell started with that disclaimer. You know, some of this actually happened. Uh, and, and I prefer I, the script. The script disclaimer, right? Yeah. Remember, it was what was it? It was uh, uh, this script uh, is based on a lot. Of, this script is based on true events, a lot and a lot of bullshit. Or something right. Like that. that was the conceit of American bullshit. Was yeah. That you know this whole thing is about bullshit. And unfortunately, I think David O. Russell got a little off track. Yeah. And he forgot the bullshit. Which, hey, change, change the name, but keep to the core. Please. This movie is about bullshit. And it's about bullshitting. All my life, I've been looking over my shoulder, worried about the feds, and for what? If I knew how fucking stupid you guys really were, I would have fucking stole the world. I mean, that exactly. was like the theme of the movie for me. You know? Exactly. This guy was so much smarter, so much smarter than all these guys. And he, you know, and we wanted him to be that great. And we wanted him to be that interesting family man. And we wanted to be him to be in love with Amy Adams. Amy Adams' performance was incredible in this, by the way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But I think that should be it for our, our cap of the podcast. I think we did a good job. I enjoyed the movie. Very interesting choices David O. Russell made. Um, he did not just shoot the script. He adapted it to his own story completely. Right. So for better or for worse in certain cases. We'll see how what the Oscar voters think of this. Yeah, we shall see. I'm going to 
Thanks very much, guys. This is Agent DeMasso, placing $75,000 in this briefcase from Mayor Carmine Polito. cusp of the new year, and before we all start vowing to lose weight or quit smoking, let's make one New Year's resolution that we hope everyone keeps, and that is to learn from the mistakes of this year's screenplay fails, so that we will never have to suffer through these kind of movie flops again. All right, and we define a flop by a film that lost money at the box office domestically, and ones that we feel the major reason for the stumble was story issue, and we want a little variety. So there are so many bombs that we could be talking about, but we thought that these would help most in our writing. And I also remember, Tally and I had to actually watch these, so there's only so much eye torture we could take. This is a little tricky because it's hard to differentiate entirely when there's a screenplay issue or a director's interpretation of the screenplay was the issue. So we are operating under the tiny assumption that what we saw on the screen reflects what was written on the page. I know what you were going to do to me. She put that memory there. It's not real. The plan was simple. Hypnotize the guy. You bring me back the painting. Was I hypnotized? So we'll be ripping apart the big wedding, paranoia, and trance as our flops of 2013. The Big Wedding was written and directed by Justin Zackham. This is based on a French farce that actually did quite well, but something got lost in translation or remake because it only brought in $21.8 million. That's with a $35 million movie budget. It's about a divorced couple who are forced to pretend they're still married at their adopted son's wedding, all to please his ultra-conservative biological foreign mother. And we had to pick this movie because it totally fell flat. It boasts an incredible ensemble. You've got De Niro, Susan Sarandon, Diane Keaton, Robin Williams, and Talia really wants me to include here Catherine Hagel. Anyway, these stars can't perform miracles when a script just isn't funny. Okay, so the premise is how an adult adoptee and his adoptive family must pretend that his adoptive parents never divorced so that they will not break the heart of his Colombian birth mother. Seriously? This woman gives up her child, and this family takes him in, loves him, even encourages the relationship between him and his birth mother, and then she shows up and everyone scurries around to please her, and she just looks down her nose and criticizes everything and everyone. So here is our first fail. The premise has to make sense. Yeah, this farce was almost pathetic. I mean, the family's floundering around to impress this woman, and she can't even speak English. Like, how is she even knowing what's going on? Okay, listen, maybe you could distract the audience from the faulty premise with humor, but there just wasn't any. Senior citizens cursing and performing cunnilingus isn't enough to float this disaster. <laughs> so fail number two, if you're going to write a comedy, make sure it contains some comedy. Yeah, I mean, farce works because you're so preoccupied laughing that you forget the ridiculous premise, right? But with no distractions here, you're constantly pulled out of the film asking, why are they doing this? I mean, that's for the characters and the actors, too. 
The characters here heavily rely on cliches and then become totally inconsistent. There's this mom, right? Diane Keaton, running all over the world searching for his nine-hour orgasm because her husband left her, but her sexual liberation won't stop her from cock-blocking her son. And then at the end, you find out she cheated on her husband first, which makes no sense why she freaked out at his affair. Then there are the two Colombian women, one complete nun, and the other total slut that gives hand jobs at the dinner table. So fail number three, cut the cliches. <laughs> so what do we learn from Big Way? Number one, premise must make sense. Number two, make sure your comedy is funny. And three, don't rely on cliches. I mean, it sounds so obvious. It's hard to imagine that these big actors, the investors would drop $30 million, and the filmmakers didn't address these two fails, but like, obviously they did yeah. Robert Lunatic's Paranoia is the next film on the chopping block. It was written by Jason Dean Hall and Barry Levy, mm-hmm. and exactly, we have no idea who they are. This film's budget was $35 million also, and grossed a measly $7 million at the U.S. box office. So, according to its IMDb page, Paranoia is about an entry-level employee at a powerful corporation who finds himself occupying a corner office but at a dangerous price. He must spy on his boss's old mentor to secure for him a multi-billion dollar advantage. I mean, listen, seriously, I think it's about Liam Helmsworth finding ways to take his shirt off. Listen, not that I'm complaining. Something in that Helmsworth gene. (laughs) Well, my biggest issue with this film was, okay, wait, what are the stakes? I mean, I never felt like the protagonist, Adam, or his family, or his geeky buddies were ever really in danger if he didn't steal for the boss. Grievous bodily harm was threatened, and I was so waiting for it, but I never got to see any blood. Fail one, raise the stakes. I mean, this movie reminded me of Wall Street, Devil's Advocate, Mm -hmm. The Firm, even Secret of My Success. Paranoia borrows from these flicks, but doesn't add anything new to the mix. Even what is borrowed is recreated so poorly. Our protagonist here, unlike any of the films mentioned, he's unskilled or gifted in any way, making him completely undeserving of any sex. Success. (laughs) Fail number two. Don't make bad versions of already made good movies. Yeah, and another failure was that none of these characters actually arc. We meet Adam when he's pitching this uninspiring PowerPoint presentation. And I'm thinking, oh my god, I fired this guy. He's so stupid. And then I watch this guy for an hour and a half, mostly topless, and at the end he's at the startup and I'm thinking, Oh my god, I fired this guy. He's so stupid. So, fail three. Teach something to your characters. So, our protagonist is not only stupid, he's also a creep. He completely seduces and totally takes advantage of a female coworker. She falls in love with him, and he does all this just to steal company secrets from her laptop. Look, I mean, he doesn't even do this only once. He does this a few times, right? They throw in a dying dad as a save the cat, except that he never does anything for his dying dad, except plopping him in front of the TV. I mean, we should be on our protagonist's side, right? So fail number four, don't make your protagonist a dick. Okay, so let's recap what having to watch Paranoia has taught us. One, avoid borrowing storylines unless you can up the ante. And two, make sure your characters grow, especially if they start off as total douchebags. Okay, next with a budget of $20 million and bringing in just over $2 million in American theaters is Danny Boyle's Trance. It was written by John Hodge and Joe Ayern, and I actually really like this movie, and I'm a little shocked that it flopped. In it, a thieving art auctioneer seeks the help of a hypnotherapist in order to help him remember where he hid the painting that he stole. 
The thing with this film is that I actually really liked it too, until the reveal. It was stylistic, intriguing, and dark, and even funny. I mean, I thought it was really ambitious to shift the protagonist to the antagonist mid-film, and I think they could have pulled it off. I mean, I was into it. Mm -hmm. There were just too many plot holes that after the reveal, Danny Boyle didn't fill in. He was unable to convince me that an abused woman would hypnotize her aggressor to make him forget her as a way to escape the relationship, but then also get him to steal a painting for her before he disappears from her life forever. I mean, a twist ending should surprise us or even shock us, but not irritate us. I'm so irritated. Fail number one, if you must have a reveal, it better not suck. It really better not suck. And tying into that is fail number two, which I think is actually Rosaria Dawson's character in general. She's super smart and totally sexy, and I'm in love with her in the first half. It's just that this twist that you're talking about, it reveals that all her choices are totally questionable. She's constantly putting herself in dangerous positions with dangerous men, never learning. And I'm not sure if her motivation is coming from love, revenge, or just greed. It's a character an actress would kill the play, but it's too complicated for its own good. Fail number two, keep it simple. Honestly, even after the reveal, ending the film on that bizarrely unjustified moment of love between her and Vincent Cassell's character, who left her to be raped by his guys, was ridiculous. The last two to three minutes was a completely different tone than the rest of the movie. Fail number three, don't shift tone in the ending. Not unless you earn it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really expected more from Danny Boyle and John Hodge. I mean, I'm irritated and disappointed. Mm -hmm. Me too. So what do we learn from trans? If you must have a reveal, make sure it doesn't suck. Your characters should have multiple layers, not confusing foundations. And do not shift tone in the ending, people. Totally. Okay, since Tally and I had to sit for hours watching these car crashes, we decided we can't let it all be in vain, so we used faults in these films to draw up your writing resolutions and ours too. For 2014, let's all resolve to not write any scripts that snatch plot lines if we can't top the drama, or that invite a few good one-liners to the wedding thinking that'll translate into box office laughs, or that slip audiences into a daze of confusion by overwriting a massive final twist. Everyone, drop that magnum of champagne and get writing. He's afraid that once he's remembered, you'll kill him. The script is the official podcast of the NYC Screenwriters Collective. It is produced and edited by Tawny Foskett. If you live in NYC, check out our weekly review meetings through meetup.com at NYC Screenwriters Collective. Find us on Facebook at NYC Screenwriters Collective. Follow us on Twitter at ScriptFeed and email us at scriptfeed at gmail.com.